Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Jordan Mazur. Jordan is currently the director of performance nutrition and the sports dietitian for the San Francisco 49ers. He studied nutritional science and exercise science and contributes to many media publications, including Men's Journal, and works as an advisor and ambassador to many nutrition and health brands to elevate and create education around their brands from a nutrition and human performance perspective. His passion is sports, and his drive is to make athletes the very best they can be, helping people become efficient running machines. In this episode, Jordan walks us through what a typical day is like working as the dietitian for the 49ers and all the different considerations that go into the job, and there's a lot, and how nutrition and hydration play a large role. We talk about the difference of a professional athlete fueling their body versus the average active person versus someone who is just starting out to incorporate exercise into their daily routine and what your nutrition recommendations would be. So even if you're not an athlete, you can learn a lot from Jordan in this episode and how to fuel for performance and your everyday life. Jordan is an expert in sports nutrition and fueling for performance. So whether you're listening for yourself or are just curious what a typical professional sports team eats, he's your guy. So stick around because if you're active at all, this is an episode you don't want to miss since Jordan and I touch on one key component of post-exercise nutrition that's often missing in people's diets. Jordan, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, just knowing your background and I'll share a little bit of mine and, um, where my passion still lies in some sports nutrition. Um, but I would love to just know a little bit more about your background and how you got into sports nutrition and working with professional teams like the Eagles, which is my favorite team. Um, and now the 49ers. Yeah. Well, great. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me on as a guest. Um, it's good to uh, finally meet you and get on here. Um, so I'm happy to be here. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me. So I, I guess I'll take it back. I was born and raised in Connecticut. So I'm an East coast guy originally. So grew up in Connecticut, um, and then went to undergraduate at university of Connecticut. So people always ask how I got into nutrition. I think if I look back, um, I was always an athlete growing up and I always use that term loosely as an athlete, but I played sports growing up and, uh, and I was always active. And so when, when high school, you know, when you become a senior in high school, junior, senior year, you're 17, 18 years old, the people are like, all right, now what do you want to study and, and do for the rest of your life? I'm like, Oh, well, what do I enjoy doing? And I knew sports being active cooking was always just something fun that I loved doing growing up. Um, and then, you know, being active, um, I always took an interest in nutrition though, and, and understanding, like, I was always kind of a kid that asked why all the time. So like, for me, when I was like eating foods, I was, I started to kind of, as I got older, I was like, well, like how, how does that hamburger that you eat actually get converted to energy? Like a lot of times we just eat to eat and we know that we need to eat or we're hungry and we eat food but like on a metabolic level, like not at that time, but like, I knew I was like, what's going on that like, that's actually helping me run. Um, so I was like, all right, cool. Like nutrition is an interest of mine. Like I know I can study that. And I knew that being a dietitian, um, was a, was a career option and something you can do. Um, so I was like, all right, cool. So I went to university of Connecticut and, and started as, uh, um, my bachelor degree there with uh, nutritional sciences. So I graduated, um, 2012 now, 
it's a while ago now, but 2012 with my undergrad there from the nutritional sciences. Um, and then at that time, I didn't really like know the whole process really well. I didn't have a great mentor to tell me the dietetic internship and the whole real like process to become a registered dietitian, which is um, complex. And it's a little bit more Very. complicated if you don't have <laughs> that guidance. Plus, I also didn't realize how competitive it was. And I think well, at the time we're recording this, this is kind of like the match period. Like I know I've been seeing some things. This is like match day it was like recently where you get matched with a, those dietetic internships. So for those who don't know, it's a, it's a pretty long process. So you basically, you know, you apply to these dietetic internships, which are your 1200 supervised practice hours in different concentrations. And then at the end of that, um, you can sit to take your board exam. So you have to go through that to take your board exam to be a, a registered dietitian. Um, so I didn't really know that process. So when I was finishing school, I was, uh, I was a rower in college too. So I was an athlete. I had a part-time job, obviously a full-time student. So I didn't have a ton of time to like build my resume on and getting exposure in other, uh, areas. So, uh, I took a year off. I didn't go into a dad tech internship right away. Cause I didn't do the coordinated program either. And you kind of had one where you can do that dietetic internship alongside your undergrad, but I, I didn't, I didn't do that, but, um, so I took a year off and and did uh, some clinical jobs. So I was a nutrition assistant at an adult care hospital in Connecticut, just working on um, you know specialized diets and and taking um, you know meal orders for them and and helping out with like um, ordering and and supplies and and supplements there in an adult care hospital, um, and then also in a pediatric hospital. So I worked as a nutrition assistant there at the uh, Children's Hospital in Connecticut. Um, my mom was a nurse there too. So it was kind of cool to, to work with her. She was in the PICU and, and I was kind of working as again, some of the specialized diets and doing some of that stuff with the, with the individual kids. Um, but also doing a lot of work in the formula room. So like making the formulas for the babies in the PICU and the NICU that needed those formulas. Um, so it's, it was so interesting. And I still remember the smell of that room. Though, it's like very distinct <laughs> of like formula, baby formula smell. Um, but each, I mean, it was down to each KCAL, like those babies, especially in the NICU, it's very, very specific and, um, you know, using powdered formulas with different waters or, or sometimes older kids had, um, you know, we had supplements with apple juice and different caloric levels. So we had this entire binder full of different recipes for each, for each, um, you know, individual. So I did that, learned a lot. Um, and then eventually realized that clinical nutrition wasn't really my passion, um, that's not really wanted to work. I know it's, I understand the importance of it. I think as dietitians, we have to have the foundation in clinical, we have to understand that, but working with that population or, or, um, you know, in a hospital wasn't necessarily my passion. Um, there's some dietitians that love doing it and there's a huge need for that, but that wasn't where, where I wanted to be. And so I want to get into sports nutrition and want to do my dietetic internship. So I started to explore a little bit more of programs and I wanted to get a master's degree, but I didn't necessarily want to double up in a nutrition degree. So got my master's degree in exercise science. I found a program down at Florida State University, which would allow me to get my master's um, in exercise science with the concentration in sports nutrition, as well as doing my dietetic internship at the same time. So it was a combined program. So I finished that up in about two and a half years. Um, and then right out, right after that, I, um, right after when I graduated, I got a job, an opportunity with, uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, which is my first real gig out of, uh, school. Um, it was through a program called, uh, the Gatorade, uh, sports nutrition immersion program, which is sponsored uh, by Gatorade through, um, CPSDA, which is our, uh, professional and sports 
Dietitians Association, um, applied, got matched there with the Philadelphia Eagles and, um, you know, went up there right after I finished grad school and kind of got thrown into the fire. And that was my first like real immersive experience within sports nutrition in an applied setting. So going through grad school, I knew research is really important. Evidence-based practices is what we should be doing and how all dietitians should be um, practicing. Um, Research is important, but that's a completely different world than the applied side of nutrition and being a dietitian. Um, So how do we take the research that everyone's doing in a controlled environment, then try to apply those principles and and research and evidence to um, an individual in the real world? Because we know the real world is very different than a controlled research environment. So so I got thrown in the fire. Um, you know, it was a great experience. I learned a ton up there, worked alongside the, their, their uh, head strength coach, who was also a dietitian. Um, they had a sports nutrition, I mean, a sports performance program that was pretty advanced for the time. That was in 2015. Um, Chip Kelly was the head coach at that time and was bringing a lot of sports science, which is like this new wave of, of uh, analytics and data to, um, to pro sports. Um, and so I learned a lot from that and how nutrition fit in that role of a high performance team and how the dietitian fits in and kind of supports all of that. Um, that was a year fellowship. And then after that, I got my first, um, first real, uh, director job at the university of California, Berkeley. So UC Berkeley, their athletic department. So they were hiring the first full-time director of sports nutrition to kind of oversee all athletics there. And so that was a big job. Um, and, and it was a big challenge that I was excited about. They hadn't really had anyone full-time in that role and, and had an opportunity to kind of build a program from and work with, a uh, collegiate athletes on a number of different sports with a number of different, um, you know, challenges and issues as well. And, uh, from, you know, male, female sports to, um, you know, weight class sports and, and everything in, in, in between. So, um, it was a huge opportunity, went out there, um, you know, was there for, just about a year when the, the 49ers gave me a call and, and we're looking for a, um, their first full-time dietitian. So, and that was in 2016. So, um, yeah, I've been here since. So I started there in 2016 and now, um, you know, my current role, I'm the director of nutrition and, and sports dietitian for the 49ers. I just finished up my fourth year. So I'm going into my fifth season now. Um, and that's, uh, that's currently where I'm at. And in addition to that, I, I do a lot of, um, advising and, um, you know, consultants, uh, roles with different various companies and brands, um, to help elevate. And, and, and I also am a writer for men's journal magazine, um, as well as some other media publications. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the long answer of, of where I got to where I am in, in my background. Yeah, no, I love that. And thanks, you know, I appreciate you explaining even just like the dietetic internship and what that entails. Cause I think every dietitian knows just how vigorous that process is and how long it can take. Um, but also kudos to you, Jordan, for, I always thought my path was going to be sports nutrition. I went to Virginia tech during my undergrad actually worked with, we had a pretty progressive sports, um, nutrition program at the time and worked Mm -hmm. with RRD there. And it's a big job, you know, and especially I'm sure you saw a difference going from even collegiate to professional, but there's a lot of moving parts. You have a lot of players, you know, you're responsible for, especially actually at a collegiate level, because you're doing all the teams, right? You're serving every team. That's probably why our dietitian had like five of us helping her. She's like, great, bring me all the undergrads, any undergrad that I can get my hands on. I will use them. 
Um, but I'm curious now working with the 49ers for a few years now, what, and I'm sure people listening are really curious, what is a typical day like for you with them? Yeah, I think I get asked that question a lot, but, um, (laughs) one of the, one of the best things about, uh, what we do, um, and especially my role here is as sports dietitians, uh, there's no typical day. I say that all the time because there really isn't, um, you know, my role here and, and, you know, going back, you're right that, you know, collegiate sports nutrition is, is very different than professional sports nutrition. Um, you're working oftentimes, especially in, you know, it's grown a lot in the last 10 years. Um, you know, Virginia tech and some of these power five schools have been a little bit more progressive on the forefront and hiring dietitians to control their, or help without their food service management, as well as the individual athletes. But like, at Cal, they had like 30 different sports and over 800 student athletes. So it's a big job. And, um, you know, college, college athletes are a little bit different too. Their mindset's different, um, versus a pro athlete. That's their career, their livelihood. There's money on the line as well in terms of their, their, you know, their contracts and, and that's their, their income. And, you know, college sports, you know, sometimes you have kids that are really young and, and don't care as much. And you have guys, you know, you have athletes that too are, potentially going pro. So there's a wide range. You have, um, uh, you know, very different sports, right? You have golf, men's golf and women's golf versus football and basketball and volleyball. And so I learned a lot, even in my short time there, um, about the challenges associated with that. And then in the college setting too, you have a lot of, um, administrative duties and and things and, and NCAA laws and bylaws and things that you have to follow. So that's a different world. Pro sports. Mm-hmm. So here in my role with the 49ers, it's again, a different role, but I always say that I wear many different hats because although, you know, as, I'm as a dietitian, uh, one of the areas that I oversee is the food service. So the food that we provide and we have a third party um, contracts, so we have our own in-house chef and, and cooks and our own cafeteria here. Um, and so when I came in, um, they were already there. Um, they were already established and you know, providing food for our players, coaches, and then the entire staff as well. Um, and, and my role was to kind of come in to help educate and help with the menu formulation. So not just, you know, what the menus are, but where we're, we're sourcing those ingredients from too. So educating, um, and working with my chef, who's been great. And my whole kitchen staff's awesome to work with, but also kind of educating them on as well as some of the philosophies that I have behind fueling and certain times of the year and different phases of training uh, practice days versus a recovery day, um, different uh, times of the season, right? Training camp is going to look different than mid season versus end of season versus off season training. Um, And then within that, each player is going to have, have different goals as well. Um, And, and a focus of mine too, is not just, having those menus set, but where we're sourcing those ingredients from, because I think nutrient density, nutrient quality was really important to me. So not just having chicken breast and spinach and vegetables, but like, where are we sourcing those from? Are they clean ingredients? Are they organic? Are they free range? Are they going to have a higher nutrition quality versus something that's, um, you know, more commercial and and less uh, and more processed? So you know, things like, uh, you know, chicken breasts are very common, but there's a a wide range of chicken breasts and and where they're sourcing, where we're coming from. And so we switch from, you know, we, we only do uh, air chilled chicken breasts that are organic and and free range, because I think there's a much higher nutrition quality. Plus you're getting rid of 
a lot of the um, like the chlorine and different and then different things that are added in that cooling process where you have a lot a lot of people don't realize like that that pool of like you know bread liquid that sits at the bottom of your you know that raw chicken breast is normal but in reality that's a lot of like the the water and the chlorine that's leaching out that more that's a very common and cheap way to cool this chicken breast versus an air chilled chicken breast where you won't see that so to me that mattered um to to provide our, our players with the most the highest quality nutrition as possible and and then helping formulate again on different practice days do we have a higher carbohydrate day do we have more we focus our recovery days and off days on foods that are higher in um you know fruits and vegetables that taste good that players are going to want to eat plus foods that these functional foods that might contribute to, to recover high anti-inflammatory, high antioxidant foods, things that are more functional that we can include to help these guys perform at their best, but also recover. Um, so they can do it all again. Uh, so I, I do all that, um, with my chef and food service side, we have multiple fueling stations too. So guys have access. We have our main cafeteria, we have a fueling area in the, the weight room and then one in the locker room as well. So you guys have access to all of that um, and, and what we source and what snacks we have available to them from protein bars to just, you know, fresh fruit to, you know, you know, healthy chips, pop chips, things that are that guys are they're going to want to eat as well, but they're a healthier spin. So it's still good for them. Um, and so we have a meal prep program as well. So we have help with the guys, although they're here most of the time, if they do leave or on days that they leave early, they don't have to worry about food. So we make all of our meal prep in house. So the guys either, maybe they're a weight gain guy. They need to, they need extra calories. We can provide that from them. So they don't have to worry about guess, guessing when they go out to eat at local restaurants or fast food places and making not so great decisions when it comes to food, um, when they're on their own. So that's the food service side. I also help with performance. So technically I'm under our performance team. So, um, our performance, uh, director oversees, uh, strength and conditioning, nutrition and sports med. And so those are kind of the, the three main pillars of our performance program. And we have a functional performance uh, area as well. But, um, so I work alongside with, um, strength and conditioning too on performance. So guys, you know, that have specific body composition goals, I manage all body weights to make sure I set ranges that are appropriate for the guys that, um, put them in the, in the best place, the best possible position to, uh, to succeed. So things that are realistic where they feel their best at, where the coaches feel like they're best at, then hold them accountable too, so they can perform their best at certain body weights but also maintain it throughout the course of the season. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of, uh, you know, things that go on that, you know, they have to stay on top of their feeling or, or they might fall out of that range. Whereas, you know, being overweight is one issue, but also being underweight for their position is also going to be an issue too. So I help manage all that, um, body composition too. We have a Dex in house, which is nice. Um, nice. and great to be able to evaluate body composition and see, you know, not only what that number on the scale says, but where they're, what to make it up that body composition, right? How much muscle mass do they have versus body fat? And then more importantly, where they're storing that. Um, and so that kind of crosses over a little bit to, to, uh, um, sports medicine too, and the injury, um, nutrition and, and phases of, of injury recovery and, and return to play. Um, but you know, pre-practice nutrition, hydration, um, helping out with the athletic trainers too, during practice, um, uh, and then post-workout recovery as well. So we have a fuel station with, you know, custom shakes and uh, turmeric and cherry juice, things that are the more functional, uh, providing some supplements that are that are needed as well, like collagen and things that we know that can be beneficial to, to these guys that are, they're, you know, putting a lot of stress on their body. Um, and then that third area is sports medicine. So that, like I touched on the injury nutrition. So, you know, inevitably we, we, uh, 
we play a contact sport. So it's a, you know, injuries are going to happen. Um, we try to prevent them as much as we can, but, um, when they do occur, can we help support the healing process from a nutrition standpoint to provide the body with the nutrients, um, protein macros that they, that they need, um, to get them back as fast as possible without compromising, um, you know, their body composition or, or anything like that. So we have specific protocols and interventions from, you know, maybe a short-term injury. So like a hamstring pull or soft tissue injury, um, what can we do to help support that healing process to get, to get back faster? Um, you have, you know, bone breaks, right? So fractures and things, how can we support that? Um, you have concussion management too. And so there's certain nutrition implications that can help support that process. Um, and, and long-term injuries, right. Which are unfortunate, but how do we help someone like, you know, that's torn their ACL from that acute phase of the injury to help with the inflammation and recovery process through the long-term phase and return to play. Right. So once they start going back and, you know, that's a nine, eight, nine month rehab program sometimes. So how do we get them from the training room, right? When they're just post-surgery it help with inflammation and swelling and getting past that acute phase nutrition plays a big role in that, um, all the way through return to play. So once they get back to training and, and back in the weight room, um, is their body composition where, where it needs to be in terms of lean body mass, have they, um, you know, hopefully not accumulated a lot of body fat, even though they've been inactive, um, have we been supporting them along that way until, until they finally get back to, to the field and, and back into practice and games. So, um, and then the last area is really just, uh, <laughs> there's <travel>. more <laughs> <laughs> is, is really travel nutrition. So working with our logistics yeah. team on, you know, making sure that the flights, right. So when we charter, mm-hmm. um, and we get on the flight, is there, you know, the, the right amount of snacks and the right options for them there. And then when we get to the hotels and writing BEOs for the hotels and making sure that's as, 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 uh, similar to what they're used to as having as possible on the road and at home and then game day nutrition. So pre-workout nutrition, halftime nutrition, sideline nutrition, post-game food, um, all of that stuff is kind of falls under, under my responsibilities. Um, and then when I do have time, I'd love to be able to, to work with the 49ers and their community nutrition efforts as well. And, and working with youth athletes and helping with the youth football program um, and, and educating just on the importance of basics nutrition and hydration at their football camps, um, you know, pre-COVID times when they were doing that. And they have an extensive network and, and working with the community here. Um, so I try to help out as much as I can with them. So those are the, uh, the main, the main areas of, of responsibility that I kind of I cover and, and help here. Well, Jordan, I hope you have some help. I hope you got some dietetic interns or some people helping you. <laughs> well, I have, I was lucky last year. Yeah. I have, I've had two interns last year that helped out a lot. COVID has complicated, uh, I'm you know, sure. made things a little bit more challenging for everyone, mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons, but for here, trying to go through that last year was a challenge too with, following all the protocols and everything and making sure everyone was healthy and safe first. Um, and that included, you know, some challenges of food service and not being Mm -hmm. able to, you know, everything being grab and go and versus, you know, we, we took out a lot of the, um, you know, the community and, and the um, camaraderie part of sitting in the dining hall and sitting at a meal together because they couldn't do that. And so everything was to go food and nothing was, was grab and go anymore. It was, um, or everything was grab and go, right. They couldn't go off to a refrigerator, refrigerator and take out their bottled water that had to be handed to them. And so we had to follow those protocols, which created more work, but, um, ultimately we, we wanted to play football and make sure everyone was safe, um, safe to do so. Yeah. Well, and I'm really curious cause I'm going to guess that m- most people listening are not professional athletes. <laughs> um, hopefully we have some listening, but what would you say? And if you can 
kind of just explain for people, because I love, and it's kind of something I always preach of like, whenever you're eating, you're fueling your body. And it's also a great mindset and way to think about what you're putting in your body. And I do find it helps you make better decisions about what you're putting in your body when you think of it that way of, okay, this is going to be fuel that is going to help me through my day, whatever that may be. Just if people don't have an idea of kind of your professional athlete fueling their body versus your average, like, but maybe very active person who's working out versus someone who's, you know, maybe just starting out working out or, um, maybe is at a point where they're thinking about working out just what, can you explain to people what the difference is? Because it's, I know it's, it's a drastic difference between a professional athlete and even your average person. Um, just what a few of those differences would be. Yeah. So being a professional athlete is, is honestly probably the way more, there's way more to it in terms of fueling their body. It's very different compared to, um, maybe some, you know, weekend warrior, some that is like to stay fit and active. Um, that's not necessarily competitive or a professional athlete. And then there are those people that, you know, might be just getting back into it or they've had a, you know, a setback or, or they're just, you know, have, have, you know, trying to lose weight or just trying to get back in shape because they haven't been paying attention to that. So, you know, professional athletes have much higher demands on their body. So when you just break it down from a macronutrient level, their, their needs are going to be higher because they're burning a lot more calories. They're, they're putting their bodies through a lot more stress as well. So they're tearing, you know, causing a lot of muscle damage and, um, they have more, you know, increased needs for certain things like, um, maybe iron, right. Because, you know, they might have an increased need for that or certain micronutrients, um, protein is slightly higher. Carbohydrates are slightly higher too. Um, we periodize it a lot and that's what I try to do and, and educate with a professional athlete and, and making sure that they're fueling for performance, which is different than just fueling your, um, body for, you know, just everyday, um, everyday living. So, uh, you, you have to take it into account a number of things, right? So a professional athlete has to take into account, right? What type of training they're doing, what phase of training that they're in, what are their current goals? Uh, what is their sport? When is their competition? Um, all of those different things go into uh, your know, factors that go into planning, doing a meal plan or fueling for a professional athlete, um, you're feeling a lot different during their, uh, you know, their off season or when they're trying to lead up to competition versus their training phase. So when they're, maybe they're in practices, depending on the sport and then obviously the competition phase too, and, and what that all looks like. Um, and then obviously like their competition or game day nutrition is going to be different as well. So there's a lot of factors when it comes into that, which is why you see a lot of sports dietitians and, and people that have full-time roles that help with these teams. Um, because there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and so if, if you're looking at comparing that to, you know, someone that's maybe not a professional athlete, but they're athletic or they like to work out and they're just kind of a weekend warrior and like to, you know, be active and fit or go to the gym. Um, that's a little bit different too. So they might not have as many as increased needs as someone that's a professional sport, but maybe they're putting their bodies through depending on how, you know, maybe you're training for a marathon. That's, that's putting your body through a lot of wear and tear as well. And you got to support that if you're trying to, um, you know, either win the race or you just be your best and have your best time and just continue to improve. Maybe you're someone that's, um, you know, a high school athlete that's trying to, um, to gain muscle and get stronger and bigger and, and faster to, to go to play college sport or something like that. Or you just, you're just trying to build muscle. Um, those protein needs are going to be a little bit higher. Um, the biggest thing in terms of macros for me is always manipulating the carbohydrate 
versus, you know, protein, making sure you're meeting your protein needs, which are going to be pretty set and standard. I, I professional athletes are going to be up on the higher end of that range, but you know, protein is important to get throughout the day. Um, carbohydrates kind of where you kind of manipulate the macros is based on your goals and in your activity for me. Um, you know, and then your, your dietary fats and, and healthy fats are where you kind of fill in the, the gaps and make sure you're getting that into. Um, and then you have someone that maybe just isn't used to working out and they're trying to get back into that where, you know, maybe their needs aren't as, as, uh, you know, specific, but maybe it's getting more fruits and vegetables into their diet, or maybe it's, it's, you know, decreasing added sugars or, or, or decreasing overall calories because they're, they're set in, they've been sedentary, um, or they haven't been as active. So they, they, they've led to some weight gain. So now how do you change that body composition? Well, you got to start changing the habits, but I think it all starts with what you kind of alluded to in the beginning. It's, it's the idea of like intuitive eating, but listening to your body, um, which I love um, because I think that, you know, someone that's not a professional athlete can really start with that and listening to the body and, and fueling um, their body for whatever their goals are. If it's just to be healthy um, and, and kind of understanding that idea of like, are you eating to just eat? Or are you eating for a purpose? Um, and a lot of us should be eating with a purpose and um, focusing on what our goals are. And, and if it's something to, you know, if it's just to be healthy and, and to maybe lose a little weight or just to stay where you are and just um, be healthy, um, listening to your body and, you know, paying attention to what you put in your body is a high quality nutrition. Um, are you overeating? Are you eating because you're, or just because you're bored? Like when was the last time that ate, or am I really hungry or have I drink enough water today? And that's another thing that, you know, you can listen to your body on there and pay attention to not, not that you're preoccupying with it too much, but like, you're just more aware of how you're feeling in your body, but also how your body reacts to certain foods. And, and, you know, are you eating to be satisfied? Are you stuffing your face? And, and you had that you know feeling of being full um, and being, you know, paying attention to that. So, you know, for people like you and I, that might be something that's, you know, pretty, pretty basic, but for some people, they, you know, maybe have never had to pay attention to that before or haven't that's, that's a concept that's new to them. So I think that's something that can, it can go a long way with just listening to your body and, and this intuitive idea of, of being in tune with that and, and focusing more on what you're putting in your body and taking care of it, right. Putting nutrient dense foods, dense foods in your body and providing with what it needs to, to not just live, but to thrive. So, um, I think I, I would say that that's kind of the, the overview of, you know, it's very different, but again, it's so individualized now, uh, it's gotta be individualized. Yeah, no, it's so individualized. And that's where I think, like you were just saying, listening to your body is key. So even when I work with clients, you have some people who, and this goes with too, Jordan, you talked about like manipulating your carbohydrates. Like we usually, there's kind of like a set protein we still want you to get, but in terms of how much energy you're going to be burning during a workout, which is really what carbohydrates supply you for, for anyone listening. Um, you know, you may have some people that if they're workouts first thing in the morning, they can go into it fast, like mm -hmm. fasted and have a great workout and feel good because they use their carb stores from the day before you have other people where they're like, no, I, I could not make it through the workout and they have to listen to their bodies. And it could be the same workout for both people and think, you know what? I need some extra energy. I'm going to take in some carbohydrates. And then one thing that, and I don't know if you see this too, Jordan, but I see so many people post-workout just doing protein, especially mm. with like 
protein shakes that have terrible ingredients, very minimal carbohydrates, and then they're mixing it with water. So there's no carbohydrates, um, which even if you were to, you know, mix it with milk instead, that would give you some carbohydrates, but thinking about too, for anyone listening, carbohydrates are there to support your energy levels while you're exercising, but then you need to fill those stores back up after. And it's also going to help. And this is where I think the misstep is because I feel like you see it most of the time with people that are lifting heavy weights (laughs) that they're just doing protein afterwards is you need carbohydrates for muscle building. (laughs) That protein needs carbohydrates. So I don't know if you see that as well, or feel like you have to educate people on that. We do. I think when you come, when you talk guys at this level, so professional level, they've been also educated so much on protein. So like they almost over consume protein, which is, is a thing, not that necessarily Mm -hmm. it might cause be causing damage to them, but when, you know, protein has a satiety factor to it as well. So if you're focusing so much on protein, you're going to get full on that and, and lose out on maybe the fruits and vegetables and fiber and carbohydrates that you also need because you're over consuming protein, but your body can't even process all that protein or even utilize it. So you're really just excreting it and, and not providing, you know, the other nutrients that are going to help you thrive and actually use that protein maybe more efficiently, um, in terms of performance too, from a carbohydrate and energy standpoint, restoring those, those stores like glycogen that you were talking about, Um, but going back, yeah, it is very individualistic. So like you said, our role here is, is again, we take the science, like what does our textbook say that we learned in school is going through a dietitian and trying to apply that. And it's not a one size fits all approach. So we use those as guidelines, but then there's a lot of feedback and that's where that intuitive response comes in. Like, all right, how did you feel? Like, um, how did you feel after that workout or how did you feel going into that workout? And so when you talk about pre pre pre-workout nutrition, there's so many factors, a, you know, what's your individual goal? What type of workout are you going into? When's the last time that you ate, um, individual tolerability to certain foods, right. From a GI perspective, can you tolerate liquid nutrition for something that's more substantial versus, um, you know, are you doing a a marathon or something that's more endurance based, you know, sometimes something lighter, um, or when was your last meal? Was it two hours out of that training? Was it three hours? Was it 30 minutes before? So there's so many factors that go into it. And that that's kind of the, you know, I consider myself more of a nutrition coach because you're trying to coach someone up based on the principles and science that's going to apply for them to them to be successful. Um, but I think, yeah, you, you know, when it comes to like protein, these guys, it's almost telling them more of the protein timing is more important. So like spreading that out throughout the day and around their workouts versus consuming it, you know, an 80 grams protein shake right after their workout and, and more educating them on why, um, that's probably not the best choice in doing it this way, which might be more beneficial to your performance. Um, and, and oftentimes finding out what, what's motive, what motivates that person. So, you know, for these guys performance, um, the money's a big motivator as well. Again, their contracts are on their livelihoods are online. This is what they've been working towards for their whole lives. And the, the career and lifespan of, a um, of an NFL athlete. So short. So they're going to do a lot of times it's a little bit easier for me to motivate them and and get them to do versus someone, you know, that might not, you know, be, uh, you know, have a hard time finding what their motivation is to get to their goal. Um, so yeah, it is, it is very individualized. Um, and you're right. There's, there's so many, you know, we kind of simplify it in terms of carbs, fats, and proteins, right? Those are the three things that make up calories. That's it. That's all the only things that we consume that we make up calories, which are, you know, our energy, that's it. Those are three things. Um, but as you and I know, 
anatomy and physiology of the human body is so complex. It's not a one side, you know, you know, it's not, you know, you only use carbohydrates at one time. You only use protein at one time or fats at one time. It's always this complex mix. Whereas oftentimes we just explain it. So it's simplified. So people, yeah. most people can understand it without going too much into the science where it becomes a little too complicated. Um, so we, we need to apply those principles to someone um, to meet their individual goals. So Jordan, for your average person listening, thinking about just our carbs, protein, fat, can you walk them through just what's important typically pre-workout um, during a workout, let's say if it's longer than an hour and then what post-workout, what macros would be most important? Sure. So pre-workout, I kind of touched on those principles. You have to think about, um, a, what type of workout are you going into? So yeah. is it just strength training where you might be doing 30, 45 minutes of just weightlifting? Is it more endurance-based training where it's going to be, you know, longer, longer or shorter or, um, lower intensity, but longer duration type, maybe you're training for a marathon or a long run. Um, is it more, uh, practice or skill-based training? So maybe you're like a soccer player and you're doing skill-based training on the field, um, for an hour. So you got to really think about what you're going into and then think about, you know, when's the last time that you ate and what was that meal? Um, was it, you know, four hours ago, was it, you know, you ate at breakfast now you're, you're training is that, you know, three in the afternoon, you haven't had anything like, yeah, that's going to be, you know, an important time that we're going to want to go in fuel. So you're maximizing what you're doing, you know, maximizing the training effect is what I always say. So you're not, you're not running on an empty tank going into that workout where you're not going to get much out of it. You want to go in fuel so you can maximize what you're doing and then recover properly after. So, um, and then the last part of that is individual tolerability. Like I talked about, like some people can tolerate something more substantial, like, maybe a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or oatmeal, but whereas someone might um, not be able to tolerate that type of fiber or yeah. maybe fat for their workout. Um, and I don't necessarily know that um, we know that fiber and fat are take longer to digest so they can sit there more, but someone might actually feel really good and give them more um, long duration uh, energy, right? Plus sustained energy versus someone that might only be able to tolerate maybe a banana or like liquid nutrition, right. From a, like a sports drink or something like that, that can give them a spike in blood sugar, blood glucose, um, to give them that short energy, um, you know, explosive type type, uh, movements, um, are going to be, you know, carbohydrates are going to be really king and important for that. Um, anything from, you know, from the first few seconds is going to be phosphocreatine system, which is, you know, just that explosive movements up to about two minutes, you're exclusively using carbohydrate. Um, and as you start to kind of go into longer duration exercise, um, you can start to use, um, fat, right. Lipids and, and fatty acids more of, as a fuel too. Um, so those all are factors when it goes into like pre-workout nutrition, but again, thinking, you know, about those, you know, ideas of when did I eat last? What can I tolerate? Um, what type of workout am I going into going into that fuel? So you're maximizing what you're doing when you're either in the weight room or on the field or whatever it is you're doing. And then during that activity, uh, oftentimes we know from, you know, physiology, our bodies really won't use, uh, we won't need to do too much or eat, consume much during an, a workout unless it's over like that uh, hour and a half. So 90 minute, 60 to 90 minute is really, I would say 90 minutes, um, long duration, uh, hour and a half, three hour type of workout. If you're doing something more of an endurance training, that's when you can start to use more carbohydrates in your workouts, things that are easy to digest, like uh, sports drink gels, gummies, um, things like that, banana, something that you might be able to tolerate that can help you give you sustained energy, um, to make it through that workout. Um, 
obviously hydration is very important too. So getting water in and, and that is also a variable based on your size, the environment, how much you've had, how much you've hydrated already before. Um, electrolyte content can be important too, depending on, again, individualized. Are you a salty sweater? Are you someone that excretes a lot in your sweater? Are you someone that doesn't sweat as much? There's some a lot of individualization when it comes to um, hydration in, in your sweat as well. Um, and then post-workout too. I think everyone kind of knows at this point, it's, you know, protein is important post-workout. But why is that important? Because you're causing a lot of damage. I always joke with our head strength coach or any strength coach, really. I always say that muscle isn't built in the weight room. It's built in the kitchen uh, and I always get some fired up a little bit, but it's too true to a certain but it extent, is. right? <laughs> you need a strong stimulus, right? You need to stimulate yep. the muscle um, through a proper training, strength and conditioning program to get to whatever your goals are. But what you're doing during that workout is really just causing muscle damage and causing mm -hmm. um, damage to your ligaments and joints, as well as the muscles um, in order to build it back up again, maximize the training effect. Can you rebuild that to get to where you're trying to, to go? Um, and so post-workout protein is very important. There's this idea that there used to be this idea. I'm sure you're well aware and have heard all of that 30 minute window, right? You have this like anabolic window of like, yeah. Oh my God, I got to get crush my protein shake within that 30 minutes or I'm going to lose out all my gains. Right. But you and I both know, like the more research that we've looked into that, that window is a little bit more, you know, longer, right. And you don't need to crush something within that 30 minutes, although the further you out, out you get, it might be that window, might, your muscles might be less sensitive, but you, that window is probably open to one to almost two hours after mm -hmm. your workout, depending on, you know, the individual, if you can get, you don't have to crush a protein shake, you can eat a whole meal, right? Like yeah. chicken breast and sweet potatoes is just as good as a protein shake. Protein shakes are just more convenient. Um, but like you said, a lot of times people opt for lower uh, quality protein powder. Like where's that protein powder coming from? And does it have, mm -hmm. is it the right composition of amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein? Um, where are they sourcing that from? Are there added fillers and sugars and different things in that? That's probably not going to make it a better, you know, the best choice. Um, but for most people, really that 20 to 40 gram, you know, depending on what type of athlete, how big you are, um, male, female, 20 grams to 40 grams is still a pretty good range to get in, uh, within, you know, an hour of your post-workout, um, whey protein or plant-based protein, a lot of, you know, animal proteins still reign supreme in terms of our ability to absorb and utilize animal proteins because we're animals ourselves. So, um, but a lot of people have some, you know, either they're, they choose, uh, you know, personal preference, they, they're vegetarian or vegan athletes. So they avoid animal products or meat altogether. So they opt for plant-based protein. Uh, and again, I think, you know, that's becoming increasingly popular. You can do it as long as you make sure that that is a quality protein, that a complete protein, that's going to provide all those amino acids. Um, you do know, you have Jordan, a favorite plant protein. So like if someone's getting a plant-based protein powder, do you have mm -hmm. a favorite plant-based source? So like whether it's pea protein or so, yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned this cause I, I'm working on an article right now. That's <laughs> going to actually talk about all of it, um, and recommended brands. Cause I think it is very confusing for a lot of people because there's yeah. so much out there, but when it comes to plant-based protein, you want to look for a complete protein source. So high level, we have 20, uh, amino acids to build proteins in our body. Nine of those are essential, which means that we can't make them in our body. We have to get them through the diet. The rest we can synthesize, um, to build proteins. Those are the building blocks to build proteins. 
So if you think about uh, protein, like a brick wall, there are all the little bricks to build that wall back up that caught, that gets damaged during working out. Um, pea protein is probably the most complete protein because it does provide the nine essential amino acids, although it's low in uh, a couple's, a couple of them and one called methionine, methionine, which is low. Um, so a lot of times they, you know, you compare it with pea and rice protein, brown rice protein, uh, to come to, to get those, um, the combination of amino acids, that's going to be efficient. Um, we also do know in research that we're a little less efficient at absorbing, uh, plant-based protein. So oftentimes I do aim a little bit higher, um, closer to that, you know, 30, 40 grams, I go another like five or 10 grams, uh, over to get, you know, to compensate for maybe the inefficiency and, and making sure that we're getting those protein, that protein in, um, versus a whey protein or an animal protein source. Um, but yeah, pea, um, and brown rice seem to be the most, uh, absorbable soy protein is actually probably most comparable to whey. Um, but there's, you know, a lot of people avoid soy for, you know, a number of reasons. Um, and so if, if you don't choose soy, um, you, you know, um, uh, um, sorry, I got stuck there for a second. Um, pea protein and, um, brown rice protein are probably the most efficient, um, pistachios actually just came out, uh, recent new research showed that they're a complete protein source. So they provide all the nine essential amino acids as well from a, you know, a plant-based complete protein source that doesn't need to be prepared, um, or cooked or anything. It's a convenient way to get a plant-based protein source on the go as well. So those are my favorite when it comes to plant-based protein. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and I, thanks so much for sharing. Cause I feel like that helps people, just knowing what to eat. And it's, it's something actually I'll always stress with clients is that if they can, if they have flexibility to work out somewhat when they want to is to do it surrounding a meal where they can actually eat a full meal after, because like you said, Jordan, and I do believe that muscle synthesis really does happen in the kitchen because, you know, you're breaking those muscle fibers apart when you're exercising and I've seen so many people where they're not focused on the nutrition aspect. They're just focused mm-hmm. on going to the gym, but yeah. they're never going to reach their goals, especially if their goal is to build muscle. If they then don't use their nutrition to repair your muscle and then build it back up. So I'm, I'm just glad that people <laughs> are able to hear this and hopefully realize too, it's like, you know, having a full meal after if you have the option is going to be better than maybe just a quick protein shake that could be low quality and really trying to get in those carbohydrates, protein, healthy fats. And like Jordan said, with going up to 40 grams, so our body can only absorb, you know, past 40 grams, it's probably not absorbing the rest of that protein and it has to go somewhere. So, um, knowing to that, just adding in more protein isn't going to help you reach your goals. I think it's really important to what you said. Like a lot of people are missing out. They're working out so hard. Like you and I have probably both mm-hmm. heard this, like I'm working out. I'm like, but I'm not getting the mm-hmm. results. It's the nutrition component that a lot of people miss out on. And I think it is a source of confusion. So a lot of people don't know where to start it actually what works for them. So consulting with you know, someone like a dietitian, like you or I, that can help guide that or coach that process to help them maximize what they're doing They're, You know, people spend so much time and effort in their workouts, but they're, that's usually maybe, you know, 45 minutes, one hour, two hours out of their day. 
well, you have 22 hours rest, rest of the day that really matter in terms of fueling um, and your body's process um, to be able to support that and maximize what you're doing. Um, so if you're working out for really hard for an hour, but then eating like, you know, crap and fast food and, you know, processed foods and a lot of, you know, sugar and not enough protein, you're not going to get to those goals to where you want. And if you're stuck, right. And you're not reaching your goals, you have to kind of look at the habits that have led you there. Um, and a lot of people oftentimes want to improve their body composition or lose weight or, or, you know, get bigger, but they're not willing to change the habits that are getting them there when it comes to nutrition. And so, you know, food is also very difficult because we also have personal preferences. You know, there's comfort, there's comfort that people associate with certain types of food. There's religious aspects of food. There's, you know, um, social aspects of food too. So food is such a big part of our lives um, that oftentimes we kind of have to just think about what are our goals? Um, what are we trying to accomplish and sticking to that? Um, but I also think it's important to measure. We often, like we've talked about it even right now, protein is important for muscle, but it's not the only thing that protein is used for in the body, right? That's most people think that that's all we use it for and that we should only consume it around times that we work out, but muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein building, happens throughout the day, not just around that workout or not just after that workout. It's constantly happening 24 seven um, muscles are being broken down. They're, they're being rebuilt, but it's not just, um, you know, lean body mass or muscle mass. It's every single cell in our body contains proteins. There's enzymes, there's, uh, you know, there's proteins that carry, uh, certain nutrients and, and also, um, you know, help with our immune system. Um, was, that's what I was just going to say your immune system. Right. And I, I bet too, Jordan, yeah. when you have an athlete that does need healing, and this is for anyone that, you know, let's say you tear your hamstring or you, even you pull up, you just pull a muscle or things like that. You need to make sure you're meeting your protein needs in order to heal. Mm -hmm. protein needs, there's certain micronutrient needs too, that are increased things that we know that helps you help yeah. the immune system, which is pretty topical right now with everything going on, but you know, like vitamin C and zinc, um, probiotics or, you know, your gut health plays a huge role in your immune system and your ability to recover, um, and, and keep your body healthy. So, and protein is a big component of, you know, your gut lining as well and, and your intestinal tract and your digestion. So protein isn't just for muscle. It's an important part of that. Um, but it really is only a percentage of, of what, you know, the proteins that we consume and protein is used for the human body. So I don't want people to think that it's only, and it's often associated with just muscle building. Um, but it's just so important for overall health. Um, our body is just more efficient at spreading that throughout the day. So taking, um, what your protein requirement needs are. And I usually, for athletes, I usually, I'm a little bit more progressive, uh, or aggressive. If you want to say I go between like 1.8 to up to two, 2.2 for athletes for grams per kilo. Um, which is a little bit higher because I think guys, you know, athletes need that. But I think above that two to 2.2 grams per kilo is probably excessive and there's no, no added effect. Um, but again, spreading that throughout the day. So not eating all at one time, but spreading out the breakfast, lunch, dinner, evening, right. Spreading it throughout the day to be more efficient, absorbing that, but also giving your body, you know, a consistent supply of amino acids into the, into the blood and into the body to use it whenever it needs it, not just around that workout time. And that's the same too, Jordan, I feel like for all macros and it comes, it comes to mind too, with so many people, um, now doing intermittent fasting and their window mm. maybe is, let's say it's, you know, 12 to 6 PM or one to 6 PM. I've seen some people where they're just eating a huge meal 
And then they'll have like maybe another smaller meal because they're like, well, as long as I get my, you know, macros in and I get that amount, it it doesn't matter, but it does matter. You do want to be spreading out all those macronutrients for optimal absorption because a lot of the times too, when things aren't absorbed, they are stored, right? And they can be stored as fat as well. So it can also be kind of, you know, not pushing your goals in the way that you may want it to. Um, I wanted to bring up when we were talking about two people, you know, they may be working out every day or have their fitness routine, but if they're not focused on the nutrition, what can happen? And I so vividly had you know, and remember this one client who his only time to work out, he had four kids, a very demanding job was at night. So he would actually have dinner and then go to the gym. So he was probably like pretty well fueled for his workout, but then he'd come home after the gym and just go to bed. There was no post-workout. And he was like, I've been doing this for two years consistently. And I, I haven't seen like really any changes made a small switch to, all right, we're actually going to have your dinner after you work out and you're going to get to the gym earlier within three months, huge gains. And so I hope for everyone that just shows you how powerful it is and how important it is post-workout to make sure you're meeting those needs. Yeah. My philosophy, actually, I always try to explain to most people, and this even does apply to athletes, but not, not as much, but say someone that's not an athlete, I always try to tell them to kind of consume around, consume most of the calories around the times of day that they're most active. So think about like an upside down, upside down pyramid, right? So the majority of your calories are constant, you know, your breakfast is bigger. Your lunches probably should be your next biggest meal of the day. And because most people are active at breakfast, and lunch in the mid early afternoon, whether they're um, working or that's when they're working out. And then their activity usually tapers off in the evening. So I usually say taper off your calories um, in terms of even carbohydrates, taper those as, as your activity goes down in the, in the, uh, as, as activity goes down during the day, because a lot of times, like you said, you know, people, if a lot of excess carbohydrates primarily get stored as body fat or they're excreted. So if you're backloading all of your calories, so if you think about the other way around where most people skip breakfast or they don't eat breakfast and then they eat, you know, a smaller lunch, but traditionally, right? Like in the Western diet, the dinner was like the biggest meal of the day, but then usually you, you don't burn it. You don't utilize any of those calories or those nutrients and you go to bed right after. So, you know, it really should be flipped the other way around. And, and that takes some training for some people. Cause a lot of times people aren't hungry in the morning or they're not used to it. They don't make the time in the morning to have something that substantial lunch should still be midday should still, I think be the biggest meal of the day for most people. Cause that's when you have time to either to utilize that or burn it off and, and, but also be productive in the afternoon. And if you t- think about it, like a typical, like work day though, you know, ending around five, you know, eight, nine to five, those are the times you're most active. Cause even if you're physically not active, your brain requires a lot of calories, you know, 20, 20 to 30% yeah. of our total calories are used by just our brain for thinking, but also breathing and, digestion and just thoughts, right. That, that requires calories. I think people don't, people also associate, you know, people take protein. They think it just goes to muscle and people they take calories because they think it only is for when they work out or when they're active or they're training. But, um, you know, the human body, you know, we use a lot of our, um, you know, calories for just 
living, just normal functioning. Just our movements, um, right? Our That's movements. what I try to always tell people. Like mm-hmm. and the thinking. actual place where you burn the most calories is just your day-to-day movements, which I do think COVID has hindered in a way if we're like sitting more and staying in one place and not just doing those daily movements as much. And that's why just, you know, along with your exercise and workouts, just being active every day plays a really big role, but not um, non-exercised. Um, yeah. What uh, is it? Non-exercised. Uh, Therm, yeah, activity right? thermogenesis. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's us geeking out. But yeah, that's basically yeah. those honestly fidgeting and moving and gardening or like walking exactly. up the stairs at the house. Like those, it's not a significant factor, but it is a factor that people kind of forget about. It's not just going out and running a marathon that's going to burn calories. It's all those mm-hmm. other, just being more active, um, you know, parking further away at the mall or walking, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Like those do add up over time. And it, it also, does it does make an impact. Um, one thing that you mentioned about your other client that I didn't want to touch on is yeah. circadian circadian rhythms too. So when you look at the people that like work out, there's a lot of research and I, you know, I don't know if you've looked into it about circadian rhythms and um, metabolism as well, but basically that are also associated with sunlight. So, you know, when people mm-hmm. are like the night shift workers or, or there are a lot of people that enjoy working out at night, or that's the only time of the day that they have to work out at night your fueling strategy and your hormones like leptin and, and things that, you know, ghrelin, those hormones that are associated with our our hunger, um, are changed based on the sunlight and and, 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 in the evening, regardless of whether you're active or not. And so like night shift workers too, like nurses that work overnight, um, they oftentimes have their metabolisms a little bit shifted, even though they're awake, their, their digestion and the way they, you know, their metabolism, is still based on those circadian rhythms and, and sunlight. So it is interesting. And, and those factors do come into play when people start to think about like, Hey, I'm not reaching my goals. That should be considered rent. Right. What time of the day am I working out? How active am I at night? Um, and then also your sleep patterns too play a big role in your hormone regulation and your eating patterns as well. So there's a lot, I was actually listening to your, your podcast with Chris, Chris Moore, Chris Moore, yeah, on on sleep because I think sleep is such a um, fascinating subject. Um, just from and so like, underrated, Jordan, like people so put it underrated. The back yeah, but they don't. You know, I, I'm so fascinated with sleep because I think people don't really like. We don't understand why we sleep, right? We understand that we need sleep, but like science has never found out like why humans, like as mammals, we need to sleep for seven to nine hours. We understand some of the processes in terms of like, you know, brain and memory storage and some of that stuff. But like, why do we actually need sleep is something that we can't really fully define. And then like, why do we need, you know, for seven, eight hours a day, like, you, you know, you go unconscious and lay on something soft for eight hours, you know what I'm saying? So, and then understanding the human processes, but a lot of people know the importance of sleep, and especially for my athletes that gets put on the back burner because their, their lives are so busy. There's so much stress involved in their, you know, not just their performance, but their outside lives and their personal lives too. Um, sleep goes on the back burner. And then with technology now too, it, you know, that plays a big factor in their circadian rhythms and their ability to fall asleep. So I have so many players, you know, even though they're doing so much and putting their bodies through so much, they still aren't nutrition is a big way to lose it. You know, they're not reaching the goals because their nutrition isn't intact, but their sleep is also not intact. You know, they don't have good sleep hygiene or sleep practices that are really hindering their, their benefits. And that's, that's can be applied to anyone, not, not even a professional athlete. Oh, totally. I, you know, I stress a lot that 
with, and my practice has shifted in this way, but now we address sleep and stress first. Then we go into nutrition. Like we'll add in some things about nutrition, but maybe that's the next thing professional teams need is a sleep consultant. That would actually be pretty great. Right. Well, we do, we do, we do have, um, people that advise on sleep. So mental health is a big, big component of our program here too. Um, and I think it's, you know, even, you know, non-athletes that's especially during COVID time, mental health has become super, um, you know, it's not new, but we're becoming more aware and and destigmatizing a lot of the, you know, issues around mental health and, um, you know, sleep, um, stress hormones, stress, but sleep, stress, like you nailed it. Those are the two things and, and hydration. So basic water, right. Things and, and nutrition, those are like the pillars that like you have to fix your, your stress, uh, and your, and your sleep, you know, can you, you rattle, you know, reel those in and, and get a good handle on those and make sure you're having good habits there. And then nutrition and hydration, then you're making, you're, you're, you're starting to make progress. Um, but it is, it's easier said than done. Right. Totally. And it is, it's just, it's harder to reach your goals. And I've actually, I've seen it with so many people. It's harder to reach those nutrition or fitness goals. If your sleep is out of whack, if your stress is super high, if your hydration is off, which something I've seen a lot, which I'm sure Jordan, you don't see it as much with your athletes because they are eating higher carbohydrates. I'm sure you guys have them on an electrolyte routine, but now with so many people on a lower carbohydrate diet, they're not retaining as much sodium because they're not producing as much aldosterone and then they're not retaining then as much water. So they're, they may be drinking a lot, but they're actually not hydrated. So trying to promote to making sure, especially because sodium has such a bad rap. Um, those electrolytes are so important. Um, well, Jordan, this was so good. I mean, honestly, we could probably keep talking. I feel like for the whole day, um, but I want to end the show. We always end with a little rapid fire Q and a. So just first thing that comes to mind, um, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Uh, yoga. Nice. I've really gotten into it more so in COVID. I, if you asked me like a year ago, I probably wouldn't have said that, but I've gotten into some really good yoga practice, yoga and meditation were two things that I like wow. skills that I wanted to build. Um, in conjunction with I've increased my, my aerobic capacity. So I have I wasn't always a fan of cardio. I always lifted. Um, but since I got the Peloton app, I got the Pel- I got a Peloton bike, um, uh, which has helped with that. And then the Peloton nice. app has so many great, um, yoga classes as well as, um, meditation and meditation is very challenging. Um, it's very difficult yeah. because my mind is always wondering and I have a hard time <laughs> controlling my thoughts, but that it's a very good practice to kind of release from that. Even if it's, I can't do more than like the five, 10 minutes or max, I'm okay with I'm that. The same anything way. more than like, there's like 45 minute meditation. I'm like, that would take a lot of yeah. work for me, but that's okay. Like that's a five to 10 minute meditation gives you just the same benefits. It's actually interesting. Um, I'm not sure if you know, Todd McCullough from TMAC fitness. So we just had him on and he pairs, he does 20 minute workouts and they do involve yoga, but then he always does a meditation at the end, like a quick five minute meditation. And I just love that pairing so much. So that's top of mind. All right. Next one, coffee or tea? Coffee, hands down. I, I like, I drink coffee, like it's water. And, uh, <laughs> I, I used to, I've been drinking coffee since I was like 12 years old. My grandma, I remember giving it to me when I was like, but like a lot of cream and sugar to make it taste good. And I've been on it ever since. So I'm someone that can drink it now. It's, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. I can drink it 
in the afternoon and still still run out. But I love good coffee. My my life my life goal is to open a coffee shop on the beach, and that's that's what I want to do long term. <laughs> that's like my dream job. That's awesome. And how do you take it, Jordan? Like, how do you drink it? Uh, just a little half and half. I don't love. Nice. I can drink black coffee, no sugar. I've never had it. I've never had any sugar because I really th- I actually appreciate like the taste of coffee, like different yeah. types of coffee and roasts. And so I, I'd love to like travel the world and like get different beans from all over. I was just in Hawaii, um, last week. And so I got like their Kona coffee and, and bean. I went to a coffee farm there. So it was like a, a dream of mine just to kind of go there and, and see how they're grown and then the different roasts and everything. So, um, definitely coffee. I haven't gotten so much into tea. Um, but I will, uh, I'll do some green tea once in a while, but, um, coffee for sure. Awesome. Well, if you open that coffee shop one day, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm going um, sure to do it. <laughs> okay. My favorite question. What is your favorite home cooked meal? And this could be something you make or that like your family makes or. This is funny because this may not be dietitian approved, but my mom <laughs> growing up would always on our birthdays would be like, what do you want? I'll make you anything, make your favorite dish. And it was always shepherd's pie, which for most people know what that is, but it's just like ground beef, uh, yeah. layer of like corn and, and veggies and then mashed potatoes. And if I had to say like from childhood, what my favorite food was, it's just mashed potatoes. Like I think mashed potatoes yeah. are just like so comforting and like so good. Um, but yeah, shepherd's pie, my mom, if she's, I know she listens to all my podcasts, but I mom's shepherd's pie is the best. And she knows that. Um, and so growing up, I would always have that on my birthday, which is actually coming up. And so, uh, shepherd's pie for sure. Oh my gosh. Is she going to mail you some? She would, if she could, she always, you know, around, I love my mom and, you know, she always makes Christmas cookies. And so she'll always send them, send them across. They're back in Connecticut still. So she'll always send them across country. Um, and funny story one time she sent them, but she didn't, she put them in like a Ziploc bag in the box and there is the package got delivered, but it got torn open by the raccoons and like had, they actually ate all of the cookies out of it. Oh, Funny story. Oh so God. now she like does them in like sealed, sealed, like, like, um, like uh, basically like iron locked. Oh my, <laughs> such containers. a good mom. Such <laughs> a good mom. Out. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. I think, she, I think shepherd's pie is definitely dietitian proof. We actually just made one. My husband loves shepherd's pie and we just made one with Jordan, have you ever had celery root puree? Like it, like mm-hmm. a mashed potato. Okay. So we were, we saw it on the kitchen and we're like, it looks pretty good. Let's try it. Oh, try it, Jordan. Like just make a typical shepherd's pie. And then instead of the mashed potatoes, just do celery root, just like how you would do mashed potatoes. And it adds this like whole other layer of flavor. I mean, mashed potatoes are mashed potatoes, but mm-hmm. just for a different variation. For sure. I'm going to try it. it. I have, yeah, I I'll like send it ca- to you for sure. Um, cauliflower mash is also pretty yeah. good too, as like an alternative. Um, totally. Again, you know, you're. I think it's not mashed potatoes, to, though. Yeah, <laughs> people need to enjoy 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 the foods that they enjoy. Food is meant to be enjoyed, totally. right? Totally. So sometimes, like you know, pizza is also everyone loves pizza. Like, yeah. If I'm going to eat a pizza though, and 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 obviously moderation, but like. I'm not going to get a, like a cauliflower crust. I'm just going to do a real pizza, extra uh-huh. cheese, like just enjoy it. And then, and I think most people kind of have to have that men- mindset too, right? Balance and moderation. Completely. That's the Every food fits. It's just, you know, learning, you know, not to overdo it and over consuming. 
A hundred percent. Well, I think, you know, we have to end it on that, but I want you to tell people where they can connect with you, um, where they can learn more kind of even just about your own health and wellness journey, because we didn't get into that too much. Yeah, for sure. I always encourage people to to follow me on my social media. So I'm active on Instagram, which is just Jordan Mazer. It's my name. Um, you know, that as an area for just personal as well as nutrition tips. Um, my, my Twitter, which is just fuel coach RD. Um, I'm pretty active on there and that's a lot of, a lot more nutrition stuff. That's also where you can find a lot of the articles that I write through men's journal. I help promote on there, um, as well as other, other ideas and just thoughts that I have. So those are the two main areas. Um, and then just send me a message on there. If someone wants to connect or has any questions, uh, DM on, on either one of those and, and I'll get back to them. But, um, but yeah, I appreciate you having me on this conversation was great. Yeah, no, this is awesome. Thanks so much, Jordan. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate it. Here's a question for you. After a workout or after you exercise, are you consuming both protein and carbohydrates? Remember eating after your workout and the right components is essential to repair and build your muscles as well as to refuel. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you'd like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.